Let us pray. God, we thank you for this opportunity to freely gather here and worship you. For this week that we enter into, a week where we should be focused on that which we are thankful for, that which we are blessed with. And God, not just in this week or on Thursday or on any given day, help us to always be thankful for all that you have given us. And as we gather here, Lord, speak into our hearts, our minds, and our lives that exactly which we need to hear this day. And may my words not be my own, but be yours. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, we finish up our series on Ephesians today. Uh, it's been good to go through the book, and I encourage you to continue to read it. I know in the Bible study they're continuing to study it in even more detail, and we come to Ephesians 6. Next week, of course, we start our Advent journey. It's an interesting chapter, an interesting conclusion. Remember, Paul is giving some instructions for Christian living, how to live out the faith. And uh, the passage that we have today is a passage that's probably familiar, but it's also a passage that's probably not always used in the best way. It's uh, a lot of times just uh, made into, you know, cheesy posters in Christian bookstores and, and, and oftentimes gets misunderstood, gets kind of abused. Yet it's rich and it's important. And it's one of those cases where sometimes... Uh, when we look at the scripture and we try to understand it and we try to interpret it, so many times we interpret it only through our lens instead of trying to let it be the lens for us. And it's, like I said, a very interesting passage, and it relates directly especially to the gospel that was read. Jesus faced, faced temptation. He faced the devil. As I was reading that, I couldn't help but to think of those places in Israel and we were able to see those and, and, and see what Jesus would have been looking at even as the, the devil was tempting him. And so I think even in my mind, we often underestimate that temptation. But it's a reminder to us that Jesus has faced the devil. Jesus has faced temptation. You see, the truth of the passage, the truth that this scripture points us to today is that we're at war. We're at war. Now, I'm not talking about a declared war or a war on terrorism or a social war, a culture war, a political war, a war of values and morals or, or a, you know, some kind of war with the media or a government entity or a political party. I'm not talking about any of that. In fact, so often I think we get way too focused on that stuff of the world, way too excited, anxious, fearful, angry, distracted about that stuff that we lose sight of the real battles we face. We lose sight of the real war that we're fighting. You see, we face a spiritual war. The truth is that the devil exists. And oftentimes we don't talk about the devil in church. It's certainly not something exciting to preach about. And when we do, we often preach or talk about the devil in terms of fear and in, in, in terms of manipulation, which is really not helpful or healthy in any way. But the devil is real. Satan exists. The goal of the devil is to tear down and destroy, to distract us from God. The devil is real powerful, sneaky, manipulative, cunning, and effective. 
It's a real power that we face, that we do, in fact, have a spiritual battle. C.S. Lewis, I think, has some of the best written theology on the devil out there, and there are certainly some great things. He writes this great book called The Screwtape Letters. It's a tiny little book. It's hard to read because you've got to change your perspective. It's, it's a, you know, a, one of the devil's underlings, a devil in training, if you will, writing to the devil about how he can distract the human from God. And so when the book says the enemy, the enemy is God, and so it's weird. You've got to kind of figure it out. But it's really an interesting little book. But the best thing that C.S. Lewis talked about and said as it relates to the devils, he says, we make two mistakes with the devil. Either we assume that because Christ has won or for whatever other reason that the devil does not exist and we pay him no attention. Or on the other token, we give the devil so much power and worry and fear him so much that we give him all the power that he desires. And so we make two mistakes, one of two extremes. We constantly think about and worry about the devil, blaming everything bad on the devil. I got a car accident. I got a really bad parking spot. The devil did it. Or we go to this other side where we just don't think about it and don't realize that the devil is real and that the devil exists. And I'll be truthful, I, I, I see folks on both sides. I have extended family who are on this side that, that go so far as to even you know, blame mental illness on the devil. There's no such thing. It's just the devil inside you. But there's so many more Christians I know that are on this side that they naively forget that the devil exists, that the devil is real, that there's a spiritual war. And they focus on naming other figures in culture as the devil or as evil. And I think these mistakes are problematic. That's why it's good to look at this passage, that the devil is the master of deceit, that the devil's favorite tools are guilt and shame. Hear this if you hear nothing else today, that the tools, that these things, guilt and shame, they're of the devil, they're not of God. These are not godly values. And so these are two favorite tactics to leverage guilt and shame in our lives. And, you know, German Lutheran, I mean, guilt's like built into my DNA. But these are tools. And the truth is that we often don't notice this spiritual war we face because it's a series of little battles. We face a series of little battles in life that distract us from God, that tear us down, that take away our focus that get us looking to the things of the world instead of the things of God, that get us living in guilt or in shame. But guilt and shame are not of God. Certainly, repentance and remorse and change are godly values, but guilt and shame are not. You see, in guilt and shame, we allow our mistakes, our problems, our sins to define us. But the person of Christ is the only one who should define us. But Paul begins this passage with a powerful start. He says, stand firm then. Stand firm. We understand what it means to stand firm, I think, in a lot of ways. But it really here means a lot of things. It means to leverage. It means to have courage. It means to stand still. It means to overpower. It means to overcome. To stand firm. You see, the devil is the ultimate antagonist. The devil is already lost and will finally lose again when Jesus comes, but we still face these series of battles today. We still face these battles. 
And that's why Paul has written this scripture, not just for the people in Ephesus, not just for those he wrote to or the people in the culture, but for us as well. We face battles that the devil has power, but we have power as well. We have the power of God behind us. We have the tools, all the tools we need to stand firm. That's what the description of this armor is. It's, it's to... It's the tools that God has given us to stand firm. I'm not going to focus on these tools, on the armor of God much. I think in some ways it's self-explanatory. And again, you can go get one of those posters in the Christian bookstore if you want. But I think that these in some ways are self-explanatory. And I think, unfortunately, when we focus on these characteristics, I think we miss part of the point of the passage. That we have all that we need to face and fight the challenges that we encounter. That we have all the tools we need to stand firm. That we have all the tools we need to win these little battles. That God is with us. That God is on our side. That we will not be left alone. And truth is, some battles are easier than others to fight, are they not? I find the battles that only affect me to be the easiest to fight. The battles that affect my family are the ones that are much harder to fight. There are little battles in life, little battles of inconvenience, and there are difficult battles of broken relationship and worry and anxiety and loss. But they're battles nonetheless. And in each of those, we have the tools. I'll be honest, I, I feel like the last six months has been a battle. And nothing particularly bad, just life's challenges. And there are these seasons of negativity that we face in life. Maybe you've had those seasons, and I would say for me, maybe that last six months has been a season of negativity. And in the midst of any of those battles, we have choices. We can look to God... We can give that thing we're facing power over us, which really ultimately does the third thing, which gives the devil the power. You see, the devil doesn't have to ruin us or destroy us or hurt us. He just has to get us not thinking about God, not focusing on God, worrying and being fearful about what's happening in life or what's happening in the world or what's happening to us. We live in such a fear-based culture, and the devil delights in that. Because when we live in fear, we don't have to trust God. We don't look to God. And so that is delight. It's interesting to me when I look at this, we all face battles and we all face lots of battles, but this list is not new in Isaiah 59. It lists some of these things. But here's the interesting thing. I'll make two observations about the list. The list of items in here are key aspects of our faith, certainly. But do you notice that most of the tools, with the exception of one, are defensive in nature? They're defensive in nature. Not offensive. Jessica, in children's time, had the one offensive weapon up here. And so many times, again, rather than standing firm, we're running to or running away from something. We're swinging our sword. When this one offensive item is the only offensive item in the list, and it's last, <coughs> excuse me, it's last on the list. Perhaps that reminds us of the meekness that we're supposed to have in Christ, of the trust that we're supposed to have in Christ, and the humility that we're supposed to have. 
that as we stand firm, we don't have to go to war. We just simply need to use the tools we have to fight these battles that we face. And when you face a difficult situation, a difficult set of circumstances, who do you look to? Who do you give the power to? Do you give that power to God, to the circumstances, or to the devil? And if you do that middle one, it eventually becomes the third, I promise you. I'll never forget, I was uh, facing a difficult situation, being uh, verbally abused by a, a boss, a supervisor. And I was having a conversation with their supervisor, who happened to be a friend, which was complicated. And I said, I just can't take it anymore. This is destroying me. I don't know if you've ever had that experience with a supervisor, a friend, or a family member. And he said, Marcus, what I'm about to say you're not going to like, and I apologize in advance because it's going to hurt you. It's not what I was hoping for, you know, the empathetic response. But he said very simply, why is it that you're giving this man so much power over your life? Why? Why are you giving this person so much power over your life to dictate so much of your life? Oh. Oops. So oftentimes, we give the power away to the people who hurt us, to the people we fear, to the people of influence, to the people who rule, whether we like them or not. But really, we should be looking to God. That's the big point of this passage. It says to put on the armor of God. Put on is an important phrase. It, it, it's hard to communicate in the English because, you know, we just think about putting on clothes or putting on my stole or putting on our shoes. But, you know, we think of the other times that Paul uses it to put on Christ, to clothe yourself with Christ. It's not just to put on this armor, but to let this armor become a part of you. Righteousness and salvation and faith and trust. The same way we put on our baptism. That when we are baptized, we are simply embracing the covenant of God. We're simply putting on Christ who's already been there with us. I'm excited because, you know, every year we talk about the baptism of Jesus. It comes in our lectionary every year. I think it's January 11th, I'm pretty sure. And a lot of times in church we've done this thing in churches where we do an affirmation of our baptism, where we just take a moment to individually and as a congregation affirm our baptism, re receive the sign of the cross on your forehead in water, much like Ash Wednesday with ashes, and, and that's something we're going to do this year, and, and we're, I'm excited we're going to use water from the Jordan River, where the, the Jordan River is where Jesus was baptized, where John baptized Jesus, and I'm excited not because we need to do that, or not because it's special, but because it's another reminder together to put on Christ. Not just once, not just on Sundays, but in all of the moments of our lives. But here's the thing. Paul wants us to know that this is not just a nice idea or a cute little poster of a soldier. This is a real deal. And if we don't put on the armor of Christ, if we aren't aware, if we aren't protecting ourselves, if we aren't defending ourselves against the schemes of the evil one, we're going to face hardship. 
For Paul, this was much more urgent than it is for us. I'll be honest. Paul faced true persecution, the true risk of death, attack that we could never begin to fathom. Certainly some folks in different countries of the world can fathom it, but not in our country where we have the freedom that we do. And sadly, we think that we're persecuted. We think that we're persecuted because some celebrity gets in trouble for saying something on TV or we don't have a formal prayer in, a formal prayer in school, so that's persecution. Or you know, somebody said something bad about Christians, so that's persecution. Or the government doesn't love Christians, so that's persecution. Folks, we have no idea what persecution really is. We have no clue. That's nothing. It's just a distraction. It's just a distraction. It's just another opportunity is to look away from God and worry about the things of this world. But Jesus said, I am in this world, but I am not of this world. And so we look to Christ. Paul, in the end of this passage, says that prayer is essential. Pray in all things. Pray in the Spirit. Pray to the God of the universe. That prayer not only helps us with our battles, prayer not only helps us focus on God, but thirdly, prayer keeps us alert. That it's when we pray that we are more alert to the battles we face. It's when we pray that we focus on God. It's when we pray that we realize that we are not alone. That we have everything we need to overcome anything that life or the evil one throws at us. And sometimes it's hard to tell the difference. Is this life or is this the evil one? But we have all we need. And that's why Paul ends this passage with such earnesty, that, with such passion. And the truth is that the battle is oftentimes a battle of small stuff. It's little things. But isn't it the little things that eat us away? Isn't it the little things that pile up that really get us to break, get us to that point of anxiety, that point of anger, that point of fear where we snap, whatever that looks like for you, whether that's yelling or running away or crying or lashing out? It's not usually a big thing. It's those series of little things. That if in those little battles that we face, if we could look to the God of the universe, recognize that we have these tools to trust God and to protect and defend ourselves, that not only will we overcome, not only will everything be okay, but we will be focused on God instead of circumstances. We will be focused on God instead of the evil one. And there is no better way to give it right back to the devil than to look away and look to God. You know, I'll be honest. I think I don't like facing battles. I don't like difficult things. I'm kind of a wimp. And, you know, it's never fun. And I certainly don't like battles that are clearly spiritual battles, clearly difficult battles. And I've faced a lot of those in my life that every once in a while when I forget that evil and the devil is real, I get a stark reminder. And you know, each of those have had their challenges. Each of those have had their battle scars. Yet, through the power of God, we always overcome. And there's, I have an interesting relationship with this spiritual war that we face, with this idea of spiritual attack, because when I feel attacked by the devil, I'm, I, you know, 
whether through circumstances or whatever it might be, I, you know, there's a part of me that says, this is awful, how am I going to survive, or why me? But there's another part of me that's kind of flattered. Am I a threat now? I kind of like being a threat. I don't like what comes with that. And so I think sometimes it's when I'm doing the most for God that things are clicking the most, that the Spirit is moving the most, that I'm the most focused on God. It seems that those times are the times when I feel the most attacked, when I feel the most circumstances of life, the most negativity. And so when I say in the last six months, gosh, it's been really hard, it's been a battle, it's been really negative, no big things, no big deal, I'm fine. But there's a part of me that says, oh, this is exhausting, I am sick of this. There's another part of me that's like, oh, I am so flattered. Something's going right. Good things are, are happening and good things continue to come. And I love it when it happens. I had a moment, uh, I believe it was Thursday morning. I, you know, Wednesday night I was kind of done. I was, it was at my wit's end. I'm like, all right, if I hear one more negative thing, I'm going to build a cave and hide there for a week. <laughs> or 52. And, uh, and I got the next morning to go to a meeting that I had some anxiety about because I was tired and worn from negativity. No real reason. And I go to this meeting and I have this outcome that is more powerful than I expected. Dreams come true. Things that are going to change many lives, not just my own. And I walk out of that going, that was worth it. All that negativity, worth that moment. And then it reminded me to focus. And then it reminded me of this passage that I'm preaching on. You see, the evil one likes to distract us. The evil one likes to get us to focus on guilt and shame. The evil one likes to steal and trick and destroy. Don't give the devil too much power, but don't forget how powerful the devil is. But we have all the tools that we need, and God is with us. And if we look to Christ, if we focused on Christ... We will get through all the little battles. We will get through all the little battles, and good things will come of it all. Let us pray. God, we thank you for this word. And God, although we don't always know how to talk about evil and the devil in our world and the church and the culture, we know we have no reason to worry or fear. Instead of focusing on our circumstances, help us to focus on you, knowing that we already have all the tools that we need knowing, God, that you've given us all that we need. God, help us to trust you to put on these tools that you've given us, to clothe ourselves with you, to seek to look to you in all things, in all the battles we face, not just in the past and in the future, but even today. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.